the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black in Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Getting you to retirement is the name of the game. Trying to stop you from making mistakes along the way. It's the mistakes that really hurt you, much more so than the home runs that get you to where you need to go. It's the mistakes that hurt you. Oil remains under pressure today. Markets are attempting to rebound after yesterday's opening day massacre. Um... China did not act well, and the world responded to it, as well as some political pressures in the Middle East. Strength today in healthcare, financials, consumer staples, weakness in utilities, energy, and materials. Let's bring on CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. Um, anytime we start a new year, you kind of have that new year last year, new year last year kind of thing going on. We're starting doing a little compare and contrast. Last year, munis, municipal bonds, bonds that are basically IOUs by a local government or a state were one of the best performers in 2015. Let's talk a little asset allocation tied towards this concept. What do you got for us? Well, I think, you know, one of the things you can look at and the reason for asset allocation is there's so many years that I can look back in the last 23 years in the business and say, well, that asset class is one of the best performing asset classes, and that surprised a lot of people. And this is a reason why you own a little bit of everything. Um, for the afternoon show, I was joking with uh, producer Kevin, and you know, gold has been in a tough period of time for the last five years. And if we look back for Hub on Radio and all the stuff that kind of played around us, it was nothing but gold commercials, right? Sure. And buy gold, everything, buy gold, buy gold, and then it. You know, as soon as everybody was trying to sell you that, that's when it was down. Um, so a fully asset allocated portfolio is going to have some large cap, mid cap, international, small cap, and emerging markets. You had some decent returns in some of the mid and small value areas. Where investors got hammered last year, Rob, is the ones that ditched the idea of asset allocation, and they invested solely for high income, right? They looked at things like high-yield bonds or certain types of stocks that really paid a high dividend um, and didn't realize they were investing in things that were sensitive to interest rates and defaults. So you, you just don't 
try to go into one area. You don't invest for just growth. You don't invest for just income. As soon as you do that, if you go to a value market or a raising rate environment, you get nailed. You invest based on asset allocation. You rebalance your portfolio a couple times a year. Um, and I really think that uh, if you would have done that last year, because we saw a choppy year, we saw good, you know, several quarters where the markets gave us some decent returns for several months, and if people would have rebalanced a couple times throughout the year, um, they would have been okay. Last year, the S&P 500 underperformed the, you know, MSCI EFA index or international developed by about two percent. So international stocks on the developed side did a little bit better. Emerging markets got hammered last year, about 18% or so. Um, so there might be some opportunity coming up there. As soon as commodities turn around, I think that's the time where you really look to emerging markets. And you really look just to rebalance. You don't ditch asset classes altogether um, because as soon as you do that, you're usually going to be wrong. So you rebalance. Um, sometimes you overweight. Sometimes you underweight. But um, munis outperforming a lot of other asset classes the last year. People thought that rates would rise at the you know, at the beginning of 2015, and they really didn't until just recently, and it was only on the short-term side. So I'm speaking with CFP Chad Burton. He's a financial planner. The show dedicated to financial planning your way into retirement and well beyond. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. He and I have got a seminar coming up at the end of the month. You can learn more at newfocusfinancial.com. Now, Chad, you posted an article recently regarding junk bonds in the movie The Big Short. Yep. It's kind of yeah. cliche. It's kind of cliche, uh, but I'll go with it. Um, are junk <laughs> bonds the next big crisis? Well, I mean, you get, I can, anytime you, you know, look at some of the articles out there, um, I've seen articles claiming both sides. I'm a little bit more worried about student loans than junk bonds. And the reason why is some of the reasons that were pointed out by Tim Mullaney in this article. I posted it on our company Facebook page. If you go to newfocusfinancial.com or chadburton.com, you can read it. It's just one angle. Um, I think this is a, a much softer angle, but it is something to consider because uh, junk bonds down about 10% on average last year. Some junk bond funds that really over leveraged in the oil industry were down 35%. And a lot, what really bugs me about this, and I've been talking about it a lot lately, is because you know the SEC needs to focus in on things like uh, some of the names that mutual funds and ETFs are using. If it's a junk bond fund, low-quality bond fund, it shouldn't be called strategic income or high yield. It should be called junk bond. It should have it in the name so that most investors know what they have to 401k. So you really need to take some time to know what's in your funds. A lot of strategic income funds have high-yield bonds and now stocks in it. So you get an investor that's trying to look for you know a cushion on a down year in the market and just some basic steady income. They get into a strategic income fund. And all of a sudden, they're down more than the market, and they're not sure why. It's because the name is misleading, and they didn't do their homework. Um, but, you know, the, this, the, the big short, that's, that's how, you know, the, this group of guys, um, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I don't, I don't really even seen reviews for it, but I'll, I'll definitely see it. And it's how, you know, they figured out sooner than everybody else that if housing prices stopped rising, mortgage bonds would fail, and then a whole lot of other things break loose. That's what the article talks about. And it goes into why this person, Tim Mullaney, doesn't think that junk bonds are the next big crisis. Um, part of it, for, for junk bonds to really have a big crisis in the economy, you have to have a crater in earnings. And we're not even seeing that. Even on a very mediocre year like last year, S&P 500 profits are down 1%. But if you peel out the energy sector where all of the defaults have been, 
S&P profits are actually up. Um, only 2.7% of high-yield bonds have defaulted last year, and 100% of that pretty much came from the oil industry that built out too fast. The long-run average, Rob, for high-yield bond defaults is 4.2, so we're not even up to the average yet. So until we're up to the average and beyond, I'm not going to be talking about some sort of crisis situation. Um, it's just an article that people like to write these days that they're really searching for news. And the other reason, you know, the mortgage default problem that we had, um, you know, people were getting no-doc loans. If you could fog them here, you could get a loan, no, no money down. You could lie about your income back then. The mortgage brokers were lying about it. That doesn't happen in the junk bond world. Even the oil companies had to have a business plan. They had to, you know, prove what they were doing, and, and then they just got caught because nobody thought oil prices would hit 35 bucks a barrel. So there's not really a no-doc teaser rate problem in junk bonds. And I think that and I'd look later in the year for default rates to go up because I think oil prices are going to stay depressed. And then there could be some opportunities there. But know what you own. If you buy high-yield bonds or strategic income, you're getting junk bonds. It's a very aggressive part of your bond portfolio. So um, I don't think there's a crisis coming. I think there might be more opportunity later in the year coming. Um, not now. I don't know any specific high-yield bond funds right now. With that said, we've got under 30 seconds. Any quick, and you have to be quick, resolutions for 2016? Uh, in, invest uh, your raises. So if you've got a raise, invest it. If you get RSUs, as soon as they vest, if you're overweight in the company, sell them and invest it. And stop going out on a limb in real estate. It's not going to help you in the long run. Sounds good. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. He's part of the team getting you to retirement. CFP Chad Burton. Find him at newfocusfinancial.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing in more. Thanks for listening to the show. Tell friends about it, please. Um, 800-516-1220. Feedback can always be sent to kdow.biz. That's the website for the company that I work with. Um, you can find me on uh, Apple iTunes under Rob Black and Your Money. Pass the word around. Um, some stories of note. Yesterday was, a, I'm not going to say a bloody day, because that makes it sound so dramatic, right? Uh, yesterday was a bad day, and those days happen. We were down 2.4% or something along those lines. And I said something on television. I do a television show as well. I work for Channel 4 Cron as a financial media analyst. Um, I said, I probably gained 2.4% weight over Christmas, and I'm not stressed by that. So losing 2.4% is nothing to stress over. And to be quite honest, to be quite honest, you know, losing 10 to 20% isn't anything to stress over if you take a look at how long have you been investing. 
Um, most people don't do that, and you know that's the, that's where they get into trouble. Um, if you take a look at a chart of the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the S&P 500, it's kind of like a teeter-totter. It slowly but surely trends higher. There's years where it's dramatic, and that feels like, wee! Have you ever been on teeter-totter and suddenly you know the other person gets off and like you get flown higher? It's kind of fun, right? Or they, they jump off and you get smashed down, and you're like, oh, killing me, killing me. But that's Wall Street. Typically, it's a nice, slow, steady move higher. And it's parabolic in the short term where it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm having a heart attack. Or, oh, my gosh, this is so much fun. Uh, but over time, you kind of miss these things. I once was interviewing Peter Lynch, and he said something fantastic. Um, I, I talked about the market and the fears in the market. And, you know, how normal people feel during times of crisis. And he said, you know, Rob, this market has seen World War I. It's seen Adolf Hitler, a guy that put Jews in ovens and cooked them. It's seen World War II. It's seen Korean War. It's seen Vietnam War. It's seen numerous presidents assassinated. It's seen super high oil, super low oil prices. It's seen super high inflation. Back in the 70s, you got a mortgage at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15%. Now look where mortgage rates are. Crazy affordable. 4.5%. This market's seen disputes with China. This market's seen the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's seen Cold War end. Peter Lynch really put it in perspective of like... What else do you want this market to face? This market's seen 9-11. This market's seen terrorism. And yet, in the mid part of 2015, it hit it's an all-time high. It hit an all-time high in 2014, 2013, 2012. And people have this instant gratification feel of like, but today we're down 2.4%. And Peter Lynch is probably the greatest investor of all time. What's funny about him is... He started the Fidelity Magellan Fund. He ran that Fidelity Magellan Fund. The most successful mutual fund of all time. But most investors lost money in it. Which just, how can you have the most successful mutual fund of all time and people lose money? It's because people bought high when they're greedy and sold low when they're fearful. Um, just take that into account. You know, digest that thought, that concept. And... Uh, Go with it from there. You know, if that's too much for you to handle, get out of the market. So if you can't take a 2.4% correction, I can take a 40 to 50% correction. I don't want to, but I could. I'd actually love it because, you know, the best time to buy stocks in the last 10 years was 2008 when they were getting massacred. So think about that for uno momentero, will you? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, Toyota is snubbing Apple and Google with a Ford tech tie-up. You know, the next, I'm not going to say the next big thing, but one of the next big things is obviously virtual reality. One of the next big things is technology in your car. More and more of it. 
we already have some of it. But uh, when you see a story like Toyota has chosen a technology developed by Ford to allow customers to access smartphone apps and features via their dashboard, basically going away from Apple and Google. So Ford's smart device link is an open source software which allows drivers to access smartphone apps via the dashboard and touchscreen or even voice control. Um, you, you look at that and you go, I thought Apple or Google was going to do that. And some of the things that you expect just don't end up happening. Uh, the NFL has probably hit an all-time high as far as ratings go, so says some analysts. And that's bad news for companies like CBS, Fox, and ESPN. Um, it's their biggest risk is the live sporting events. It's really what ma- still makes them relevant. Otherwise, we'd be watching it on Hulu or Netflix is the thought. Now, again, I don't know if that's 100% true. Uh, but for people under 35... I know a lot of people under 35, and very few of them, very few of them actually watch any TV uh, in real time, uh, if at all. So, um, so the NFL is popular, it's popular as ever, but has it peaked in ratings? Skyrocketing number of people who are playing fantasy sports in an industry embraced by professional sports leagues because it draws more interest in their games. That certainly helps. At some point, there has to be a peak, though. And if there is a peak, there's only one way to go from there, and that could be trouble. Amazon. We learned over the holiday season that shoppers ordered more than 23 million items on Cyber Monday. I don't know if I ordered on Cyber Monday, but I do a lot of my big ticket purchasing on that Black Friday through Cyber Monday period. So if you're going to get a computer this year, that's the time to do it. Best Buy gave $150 off Macs. Woo! Best Buy gave $125 off iPhones, woo, and iPads, woo. If you're going to get big ticket items, that's the time to do it, because those items don't go on sale except for during those days of the year. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. We can talk about your money. Um, you know, one of the areas that I think most people make biggest make the biggest mistakes is it, it's in, it's in the mistakes. It's not in what you do right; it's in what you do wrong. Like they take the markets personally. You should never take the markets personally. Yesterday was a bad day, and the way you should look at it is things were on sale because Wall Street's a discounting mechanism. It's weird that they went on sale that much in one day, but that's okay. Um. You should know your limitations. It's another big thing that most investors make, you know, grave and material mistakes with is overconfidence. And I don't think there's any way on the planet that one person can follow more than 10 stocks, let alone 20 stocks. It takes me a lot of work. And like you can hear in my voice, it's a little fried. You can find me online at robblack.com. I've got an event coming up at the end of January. Sign up for it at robblack.com. That's robblack.com.
visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. Happy New Year. I'm doing well. Thank you. I saw that you worked up until the very last day of the year, and you're starting off this year working as well. Uh, what's What are you working on? What's What's the big story of 2016 so far? Well, um, you know, we certainly had a big story just in the headline day yesterday of it being such an ugly start to uh, to the year. It's um, not all that uh, usual to see things uh, fall apart like they did. And, um, you know, so I take a step back here and try to assess, you know, you know, what was that all about? And I think it just really reflects, a, you know, an underlying sense of angst about the overall market outlook for 2016. And so, um, you know, things got rolling in China. They didn't get any better in the U.S. in terms of the economic data. The ISM report was quite a disappointment. And I think that, um, you know, something you didn't hear a lot about yesterday, um, there was a lot of talk about some Fed speakers sounding more hawkish than expected. But I think beyond that, uh, there was some concern in the market, really, that, you know, this incoming data is not really validating the Fed's proclivity to raise interest rates, and yet, you know, that's what they seem to want to do. And so I think there's some concern here uh, that uh, the Fed risks choking off this recovery, and it was one of the concerns I highlighted in my market outlook for 2016 at the end of last year is just, you know, the, the Fed needs to thread the needle here with its policy approach, and uh, it's going to be a really difficult undertaking, and you see some real jittery action there on any signs of economic weakness uh, like we saw yesterday. Okay, let's go backwards a little bit. You started off saying that the year started off with a horrible day. I'm paraphrasing or I'm putting words in your mouth. But was it really that bad in context? Because what I tried to do is get listeners to buy into the concept that take a look at the last two years, three years, four years, five years, down 2.4% or whatever we were. It's, it's, it's dramatic in a one day, but not in the big picture, right? No, you're, you're right, Rob. I mean, it's not. In the, but it's, you know, even you look at today, right? We're, we're down 1.6% year to date, I think, as we speak in the S&P 500. Um, so, you know, I, I do kind of get a kick out of seeing some of the headlines on days like yesterday where you see the, the verb plunge, you know, uh, used, uh, ad nauseum and, and it was not that bad. I mean, stocks certainly went down. There's a lot of stock for sale. Um, but it just strikes one as unusual only because the first part of a new year, uh, generally speaking, you know, tends to be positive as you see, um, you know, new money come be put to work on some of the beaten down names from the prior year, uh, as some of those, um, uh, defined contributions come into play that help underpin equity prices in the early part of the year. And I think really, though, that uh, what was striking was just how quickly the mindset went to an extreme negative viewpoint based on what happened in China. Um, you know, so that was, was kind of odd, really. Um, but, you know, we're trying to fight our way back somewhat today, uh, not with a whole lot of success thus far. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, it's been a, an unusual start to the year, but it's certainly not like you said, um, you know, not one of those you know huge things to uh, to get all worked up about. I try to think a lot, and I know that sounds like a really funny concept. I try to think a lot, 
But I think that in the last six or seven years, China was a cherry on top to a global economy that was expanding. Now China seems to be gaining more value or or more pertinence as far as the downshift goes. Um, How important is China to uh, to the United States economy? How important is it to our stock markets? Right. Well, I mean, it's the you know second largest economy in the world, and um, you know we have quite clearly you know an interconnected uh, uh, global market, um, and so even even if the direct trade relationship between the U.S. and the China isn't you know uh, all that significant, um, there becomes a, a domino effect, if you will, because you know China trades with Europe and. You know, vice versa. You know, we trade with Canada, Canada trades with Europe, and it's all connected here. And so the direct relationship isn't all that significant, but when it all works together in the same circle, um, there is a boomerang effect that you cannot get past. You cannot just dismiss China as being, you know, quote, insignificant. It's not. Um, And certainly we can see how um, uh, the, the stock market there tends to. Uh, create some angst here in the U.S. Um, it's not all that unusual to see a, a, a big day in China or a really bad day in China followed up by a big move uh, up or down in the S&P futures, uh, you know, before we get things rolling in the U.S. markets. And so, um, so it cannot be dismissed. I mean, it is definitely significant here. Uh, but let's not also forget, I mean, the U.S. economy is the world's largest economy. And, and I was kind of put off yesterday by the fact that everyone was so riled up by the, the China PMI data uh, and didn't give us much attention to the to the U.S. Uh, manufacturing data and the ISM index, which, you know, remained in contraction territory. And that's that's really, a you know, a, a bothersome signal here. And, um, and when you have the manufacturing sectors in the world's largest and second largest economies in contraction, there's going to be some, you know, negative impact from that. So you have to be be aware of it. Let's change uh, gear, so to speak. I saw auto sales for the year look awesome mm-hmm. uh, for the United States. Um, is that a worrisome sign? Because I always try to I look at the story, I see a, a headline that makes me happy. Hey, a record year for auto sales. But at the same time, I'm like, that's debt people are taking on. Is the auto numbers positive or negative? Because it creates jobs, but we're also spending money on something that depreciates incredibly quickly. What are your thoughts? Right. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's positive for the U.S. economy. It you know, all factors into that, uh, to the goods component on the personal consumption expenditures line within that GDP report. So it's a good thing to have really strong auto sales um, economically. You know, when you look at things from a stock standpoint, though, uh, it creates some concerns because if you're at these record levels, uh, it does create some very difficult comparisons. And uh, and so when you look at stocks like Ford and GM and Toyota and, and Honda and the like, um, this news out there about auto sales being so strong, you know, it's in, right? And now you worry about with the, with the Fed having kept rates so low for so long, you know, our auto sales so strong also because we pulled forward a lot of demand by those with those low interest rates. And so if you get rates moving up, uh, then potentially you see demand start to slacken a bit. And so uh, so there's some worry in there, I think, more so from the stock standpoint. Uh, and uh, But economically, it's certainly a good thing. But if you start to see, uh, you know, auto production slide lower because 
demand starts to fall off, then you're going to see that, uh, you know, work its way into the GDP report as well. And so, um, so right now it's certainly in that positive, but something to be watchful for uh, if production starts to taper off here. I've monopolized you with my questions. Now let me open it up to yourself. What are you working on, Mr. O'Hare, uh, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com? What are you working on that we should be focusing in on? Well, you know, looking more at the, the upcoming earnings reporting period, the fourth quarter earnings reporting period, um, I'm actually going to be out on vacation next week. Uh, as you alluded to, I was working all the way up to the bitter end in, in 2015, but so taking a little bit of time off next week. But beyond that, um, you know, toward the latter half of January, you're going to hear a lot of fourth quarter earnings reports, uh, but it's the guidance for the first quarter that's really going to be impactful for this market uh, when companies start saying better things and need to see better trends and earnings estimates, which uh, have been trending lower, not higher. Uh, and if we continue to see those estimates come down, uh, then the, it's going to be very difficult, we think, for the market to, to move its way up and certainly for there to be any real multiple expansion for the market. So I'm um, keeping a close eye on that uh, upcoming reporting period. What are we expecting for 2016? Uh, are you seeing a sideways market? Is it too early to tell? Um, are you expecting revenue to pick back up at some point in time? Do you think interest rates are going to destabilize the markets? What do you? What are some of your 2016 expectations? Right. Well, I hate to say it. I mean, we're not expecting a whole lot out of 2016. Um, you know, the market uh, comes into the year pretty much fully valued. Rates are starting to creep up. Uh, we think profit margins are going to start to to come down further, um, and you still have the the headwind of a. I think of. of overall global economy that's not, uh, you know, operating so great and growth is slow. Um, so, you know, I think that it's it's going to be that type of year where it really does ring true that it will be a, a stock picker's market um, trying to just go in on any one particular sector or even an index uh, play will will probably be uh, more challenging this year than it has been in years past. And so uh, the key, I think, is to really target those companies within all sectors uh, that have the best balance sheets um, and are industry leaders uh, and maybe start to look to scale into some of those names that actually didn't do so well last year uh, for some, you know, long-term um value opportunities, but uh, but 2016, I think, is going to be a slug um, with a good deal of volatility in it. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, Chief Market Strategist Analyst is the right way of saying it, Chief Market Analyst with Briefing.com. It's um, a great source, resource for investing ideas, whether it be domestic, international, story stocks, earnings, breaking news, analyst upgrades, downgrades. It's it's where I start my day each and every day with his page one article. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Don't forget I have an event coming up sooner than later at the end of the month. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money 
on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Headlines out there scream of good stories, right? Got to be careful not to go after the story stock, necessarily. But there are some things that you can look at and go, whoa. Um, For instance, uh, shares of Smith & Wesson have done incredibly well since Obama was sworn into office. Smith & Wesson stock has gone from basically 2 bucks a share to $22, $23 a share. Not too shabby for the gun industry to get someone in office that hates the gun industry. Um, scares people that their, their right to own firearms will be taken away from them. And thus, Smith & Wesson stock has done unbelievably well. Burger King is heating up the fast food world. Um... Take it on McDonald's and Wendy's. Uh, making America fat. That's what we do well. And trust me, I gained weight over the holiday period. I hate saying that because now I have to lose the weight. Otherwise, you're going to call me a fat Oompa Loompa because I'm calling most Americans fat Oompa Loompas. Burger King is raising stakes in the fast food cheap deal war. Uh, get this. They're offering a five-item meal for $4. Um, it's basically a... a Shout out to McDonald's. Like, hey, we see what you did where McDonald's has a McPick 2 and Wendy's has got four for $4. The new Burger King promotion includes a bacon cheeseburger, small french fries, a small drink, four-piece chicken nuggets, and a warm chocolate chip cookie. Um, so $4 seems to be this magical number now for fast food companies. It's a lot like, you know, the six-inch sub for $5. When that hit, that changed things. Subway changed things in America. Um, let's not talk about Subway's spokesperson, because it just still seems kind of weird. But McDonald's is initially testing its McPick 2 for five weeks. Um, they think it's going to be a winner in driving sales. And once again, you could take a look at... You could take a look at the stock price of McDonald's and go, I didn't think that was true. Conventional wisdom is that McDonald's stinks, right? That no one wants to go there. That, you know, uh, it's dying, that it's child abuse to take your kid there, and yet it's sitting at a 52-week high, just under it. Uh, An all-time high, I should mention. You know, again, when we talk about the markets correcting, let's not forget there are some stocks that have hit all-time highs. Ba-da, bop, bop, bop. I'm loving it. And Chipotle is struggling. And again, word on the street is that Chipotle is awesome. It's 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 fresh. It's delicious. It's not mass produced. It's not factory made. Uh, word on the street is McDonald's is awful. It's 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 manufactured food. It's you can't possibly. If you go order a large fries, you can't possibly make a large fries at your house for the same amount of money. When you factor in energy and grease and the cost of the potatoes, the time to slice them and dice them and cube them and whatever you do to them. So anyway, congratulations to McDonald's hitting an almost 52-week high at 118. Huge 
Huge winner last year, just FYI, going from 90 bucks a share to where it is today, $118 a share. There's a guy named Byron Ween. And you can insert your own meme or joke if you want. He is a market strategist analyst. And one of the things he does is he comes out with surprises for the year. Um, and it, it's worthy of note just to talk about. Um, some of his surprises for 2016 is... Hillary Clinton wins the presidential race against Ted Cruz. Democrats gain control of the Senate in November. The extreme positions of the Republicans' presidential candidate on key issues are cited as factors contributing to the outcome. And turnout in the election for both political parties is low. Okay. So would Hillary Clinton be good for the market? Would a split Congress be good for the market? It's believed to be it would. Uh, The United States, another prediction of his, Equity market has a down year. Uh-oh, he's predicting a down stock market. Stocks suffer from weak earnings. Margin pressure, which is higher wages, and a price-to-earnings ratio contraction. Investors keeping large cash balances because of global instability and another reason for disappointing performances and people not investing in it. His third prediction was after the December rate increase, the Federal Reserve raises short-term interest rates just one more time in 2016, in spite of saying that they would do more. But a weak economy, poor corporate performance, struggling emerging markets will make the Federal Reserve a little more cautious. His fourth prediction is the weak American economy and the soft equity market causes overseas investors to reduce their holdings of American stocks. An uncertain policy agenda as a result of a heated presidential campaign further confuses the outlook. He thinks the dollar gets weaker. Number five on his uh, list of predictions He thinks China barely avoids a hard landing, and its soft economy fails to produce enough new jobs to satisfy its young people. Chinese banks get in trouble because of non-performing loans tied towards real estate. Debt to GDP is at 250%. Growth drops below 5%, even though retail and auto sales are good and industrial production is up. That would be bad news for companies like Apple. Number six on his list of predictions is the refugee crisis in Europe. The European Union will break it down. He's predicting the European Union starts to break up. Political shift towards the nationalist policies of the extreme right is behind the change in mood. Um, Supporters start to weaken, or support starts to darken for the euro. He thinks oil languishes in the 30s. Slow growth around the world is a major factor. He thinks the high-end residential real estate in New York and London has a sharp downturn as Russian and Chinese buyers disappear from the market tied towards lower oil prices and and caution in the Middle East. He believes that the U.S. economy will be soft and that will keep the 10-year Treasury yield at below 2.5%. And finally, he thinks the heavy debt and weak demand uh, creates global growth falling to 2%, softer than expected around the world. He is not predicting a glorious year for stocks or world economies. I'm Rob Black. Find me online at robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.